0: Good evening and welcome to our evening service and uh, I will be sharing this evening service with Ian, one of the ministers. My name is Vicky, I'm one of the other ministers here at Romford Baptist Church and it's great to have you with us and we're going to start our service with the words from Psalm 96 and the first few verses. We start off with, Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name, proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvellous deeds among all people. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared before all gods, above all gods, for all the gods of their nations are idols but the Lord made the heavens. Splendour and majesty are before him, strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Wherever you are watching the service tonight, I really pray that you, like me, will be able to sing out to the Lord this evening, that you, like me, will be able to declare his glory among the nations and proclaim his salvation day after day, that we can declare that all splendour and majesty are before him because he created all of heaven and of earth, all of creation. He is the God of creation. And yet, despite all of that, he also loves us as individuals, loves us and created us to be the people we are. And what he wants from us is for us to come before him and to love him and to give our lives to him. We start by singing our first song Holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. Let us pray. Loving Heavenly Father, we thank you indeed that you are our holy God, that you are our Lord God of my almighty, that you are the God of heaven and of earth. We thank you, Lord, that as we come before you this evening, Lord, as within the last few days, we've been declaring that you have risen again, that your death may have happened, but Lord, you rose above that. You had the victory. Your name is indeed great. You are worthy of praise. You are to be feared above all others. Lord, we thank you that despite that, despite the fact that you are so mighty, you love us individually and for who we are. Loving Heavenly Father, in all that we offer this evening, Lord, may it be pleasing to your name. Amen. Psalm 96 continues with these words, Ascribe to the Lord, all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendour of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is firmly established. It cannot be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. We continue with our sung worship as we lift up our hands, as we lift up his name. Holy, holy. We pray again. And Lord, we thank you that we can come before you who are holy that we can lift up our hands and along with heaven and earth declare you as the God of all. Lord, may we open our hearts before you. May we invite you in to speak to us. And as our next song reminds us, as we wait for you whose day is near, We will wait and keep watch and take heart because you love us and you will come again. Amen. We sing again. Let's just be quiet as we think about those words from that song. And Andrew Peterson has written a song called, Is He Worthy? And it says this, Do you feel the world is broken? Do you feel the shadows deepen? Do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through? Do you wish that you could see it all made new? Is all creation groaning? Is a new creation coming? Is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst? It is, is the refrain. It is because it is good that we remind, we, we remind ourselves of this, because if anyone is able to open the break, to break the seal and open the scroll, it is the Lion of Judah, who conquered the earth. As we think about the holiness of God. We think about the intimacy that comes from knowing God for ourselves. No wonder we need to wait, take heart, and ask God to speak to us. Amen. Hopefully, and we we have said this for so many weeks you will have received the notice sheet and uh, you will see that um, our services continue uh, in the building on a Sunday morning and on a Wednesday lunchtime, as well as online on Sunday evenings. You'll see that the uh, Hannah continues with activities for the children uh, through the week and also our prayer meeting continues too. And I could just encourage you just to not feel that, well, I've not joined in before and I don't feel I can now, always just feel the opportunity to just to join in. And uh, it's lovely to see the fresh faces on uh, the Zooms as we meet together over Zoom, as well as being able to engage on Sunday in the building, albeit we still have to maintain the social distancing and wearing of the masks. It's lovely just to see the faces once again, and to feel no longer are we isolated. We continue to thank you too for the offerings and uh, ways that you have continued to give, whether that's in the building as you've come or online or via the church app or on the website as you are watching this service now. And we thank you for that continual giving that means that the work of God can continue here in this place, but also further afield. And we thank you, actually, that it is through that giving that we can begin to see things beginning to start again. And we just ask that you'll continue to keep faithful to that. We're going to pray now for our offering and follow that with our prayers of intercession. Let us pray. Father God, we do thank you for all that we can give to you. We thank you for the way that you uh, can use all that we give, not just financially, but Lord, through our offerings of ourselves. And Father, as we look to uh, restarting um, work in the coming weeks, Lord, speak to us in the way that we can support that. Lord, as lockdown begins to lift, we pray that, Lord, you will enable us to offer ourselves so that your name will be proclaimed in and through the different activities that can take place. Father God, we offer ourselves to you, we offer our money to you. Lord, use it all, we pray. And as we continue in prayer, we continue to think about our world. And Lord, we recognise that in our world that... It's not an always easy place to live. The Hudson sisters wrote this prayer. Lord, how long? From the depths of our soul we cry, how long? From generation to generation your children have suffered. How long will this go on as our pain is great? And I wonder if we can echo that sentiment expressed all those years ago by them as we look at our world around us and realise how many still suffer from the yoke of hate and injustice. How many are still weighed down by society's institutional bias, by the way that one relates to another we may too join with them and cry out, how long, Lord, before we see an answer to our prayers. But we, Lord, thank you that even when we're crying out, we know that you are listening. Because God, you are the God of all. From before the beginning of time until the very end, you are sovereign God. Your mercy endures from everlasting to everlasting. And so, Lord, we pray for ourselves, for our children and for our children's children. Lord, we pray for your hand of mercy to be at work, not just here in our own lives or in the lives of our family, but across this country, across this world. Lord, show your hand of mercy, we pray. May your power be manifest through your earth. As Lord, we look at our world and we see how your lands and your earth need to be healed. As we think about those who are suffering from mental health issues and physical ailments, Lord, we cry out to you and Lord, we pray for your healing. Lord, for those who are heavy on our hearts, may they know your power at work in those situations, in their sickness, in their grief, in their troubles. Father God, as we bring before you now those who are heavy on our hearts, we thank you that you are the God who can transform lives, who can heal, who can restore, who can change lives for the better. You are the God who can create a new heart. And Lord, where there are hearts that are hard, you can bring in a spirit of love and of compassion. Lord, as sometimes we question, And we wonder what exactly is going on. Help us to remember that you are the God of all. When we are in a storm, you are there. When we are on the rooftops or the mountaintops and we are praising your name, you are there. When we are walking through the valley of the shadow of death, you are there too. Because you are the God of yesterday, today and tomorrow. You're the God who wants to walk with us. You're the God who's gone before us. You're the God who holds us in your arms. And so, Father God, we thank you. We thank you and we praise you and we lift our hands before you in prayer. And we pray that we will be willing to do your will. That we will be willing to listen to your voice as we intercede for one another for ourselves and for our world father god we do so knowing that you are with us in those situations you are with those charity workers and those organizations that are seeking to transform lives you are with those hands that seek to bring healing and peace and joy from you And even in the darkest of night, morning will come and you will continue to be with us. Lord, as we started out by crying, Lord, how long from the depths of our soul we cry, Lord, we know that even in the waiting, you are with us. And for that, we thank you. We thank you. We have that promise because we can look at our scriptures and see that you came down to earth because you wanted to restore us into a better place. That you came down to earth and your son's love for us, your love for us meant your son went to that cross. Because you want us to know you and to have that hope to come. In all that we offer, in all that we say, in silence and in word, Lord, be with us, we pray. Hear our prayer. Amen. Before we hear our reading tonight, we're going to hear, or we're going to sing our next song, You're the Word of God the Father.
1: And so we start a new series together on the book of Proverbs. Of course, we all know Proverbs as one of those sayings that our parents may have said to us as giving us good wisdom in today's age there's a flood of self-help books and how-to books, magazine columns and everything from work to relationships to money to children. They say something about our collective sense of a lack of wisdom for everyday situations. Life can be so confusing and there's all those gurus are helping us to navigate it well. In an expression of what lies at the heart of the gospel, God's talking, God's taking the loving initiative to respond to our need. The book of Probsus reminds us that God has not left us alone to steer through life as best we can. Here, if we respond to the invitation given, is wisdom to guide us through the delights and demands of everyday living. Proverbs makes it clear that wisdom does not start and begin with human autonomy, but in relationship with God, where wisdom is worked out in different spheres of life, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our neighbourhoods and community, wherever God calls us to be. The book of Proverbs is populated with the types of people we are and the types of people we encounter most days. Adolescents, parents, spouses and friends, colleagues and clients, the gullible and the lazy, the old and the young, and those that might lead us astray and those who keep us on track. Here in this book, which knows life is lived in seasons as well as in days and hours, in relationships with others and on specific front lines, those everyday places where we spend most of our time, Here in Proverbs, it reminds us that we are to follow, that following Jesus is connected to the whole of life. Proverbs is a book which provides guidance for living wisely in God's world. A book which provides, uh, (coughs) which not only encourages us to make wise choices, but develops our character as we read it and seek to live it out. Here is a book which stands as a reminder of the availability of wisdom from God for every situation as we make our way through life. Indeed, the Bible reminds us that if any of us lack any wisdom, we can ask God, who will give generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to us, says James in 1, chapter 1, verse 5 of the book of James. The good news is that God offers wisdom for us, for the whole of life. Watch this video as an introduction to the book of Proverbs, which we're going to dig deeper into during this series.
2: The book of Proverbs, The word Proverb typically refers to a short, clever saying that offers some kind of wisdom, and this book has a lot of those. But they're almost all in the center section of the book, chapters 10 to 29. But there is way more going on in the book of Proverbs, especially at the beginning, chapters 1 through 9, and the conclusion, chapters 30 and 31. The book's been designed with an introduction, chapter 1 verses 1 through 9, and it first of all links this book to King Solomon. Now remember the story in 1 Kings chapter 3, Solomon had asked God for wisdom to lead Israel well. And so Solomon became known as the wisest man in the ancient world. And we're told in 1 Kings chapter 4 that he wrote thousands of proverbs and poems and collected knowledge about plants and animals. So Solomon was like the fountainhead of Israel's wisdom literature. So while not all the material in this book is written by him personally, he is where Israel's wisdom tradition began. The introduction says that by reading this book, you too can gain wisdom. Now wisdom for most of us means knowledge, but the Hebrew word chokhmah means much more than just mental activity. It refers to action also, so think skill or applied knowledge this is why back in the book of exodus chapter thirty one it was artists and craftsmen in israel who were said to have chokhmah so the purpose of this book is to help you develop a set of practical skills for living well in god's world and this gets linked with another key idea in the introduction the fear of the lord Now, fear here is not about terror. It's about a healthy sense of reverence and awe for God and about my place in the universe. It's a moral mindset that recognizes I am not God and that I don't get to make up my own definitions of good and evil and right and wrong. Rather, I need to humble myself before God and embrace God's definition of right and wrong, even when that's inconvenient for me. Now, this introduction leads us into the first main section of the book, chapters 1 through 9, which also doesn't contain short one-liner proverbs. Rather, what we find here are 10 speeches from a father to a son about how the son should listen to wisdom and cultivate the fear of the Lord and live accordingly, which means a life of virtue and integrity and generosity, all of which lead to success and peace. The father warns his son also about folly and evil evil, and stupid decisions that will breed selfishness and pride, all leading to ruin and shame. And so the son should make the pursuit of wisdom and the fear of the Lord his highest goal in life. And this way of thinking, it forms the moral logic of this entire book. Now these speeches from the father also clue us into what biblical wisdom literature is and how it's different from other parts of the Bible. These books explore how to live well in God's world, but wisdom is not the same as law, like what Moses gave Israel at Mount Sinai. And it's not the same as prophecy, divine speech to God's people. Rather, wisdom literature has the accumulated insight of God's people through the generations about how to live in a way that honors God and others. And so, through the book of Proverbs, now, these human words about wisdom have been put together as God's word and wisdom to his people, which connects to the other thing you find in chapters 1 through 9. There are four poems from Lady Wisdom. Here, Wisdom has been poetically personified as a woman who calls out to humanity to pay attention and to seek her. Wisdom says that she is woven into the fabric of the universe, and so wherever you see people make wise decisions, they are relying on her. So you see someone being generous or having sexual integrity or upholding justice. They are drawing on wisdom. These lady wisdom poems, they're a creative poetic way of exploring this idea that we live in God's moral universe and that goodness and justice are objective realities that we ignore to our own peril. And so fearing the Lord, living wisely, it's living along the grain of the universe. Now, together, these two sets of speeches from the Father and Lady Wisdom, they make a powerful claim about this book, that you're not simply reading good advice, you're reading God's own invitation to learn wisdom from previous generations. And so, in the next section of the book, chapters 10 through 29, we find hundreds of ancient proverbs, and they apply wisdom and the fear of the Lord to every life topic you could imagine. Family, work, neighborhood, friendship, sex, marriage, money, anger, forgiveness, alcohol, debt, everything and these are all filtered through the value system of proverbs 1 through 9. Now these proverbs they're all pretty short they're easy to memorize and actually this section of the book is meant to become a reference work that you return to time and time again throughout the years which raises some important issues in learning how to read these proverbs first of all proverbs are by nature about probabilities so you fear the Lord and you make wise good choices things will likely go well for you. And if you don't fear the Lord, you're foolish. Your life will likely not go so well. Now, that is all often true, but not always. Which leads to the next point, that proverbs are not promises. They're not formulas for success. So, some proverbs, for example. The fear of the Lord prolongs your life, but the years of the wicked are cut short or train up a child in the way they should go, and when they're old, they won't turn from it. So yes, fearing God, being a moral person, will most likely lead to a better, longer life, and raising your kids in a stable, loving home does set them up well, but there are no guarantees. Lots of things can and often do go wrong in our world. And so lastly, proverbs by nature focus on the general rule but not the exceptions, which are many. And the wisdom books actually aren't ignorant of that. The exceptions are what the other wisdom books, Job and Ecclesiastes, are all about. And together, these acknowledge that life is too complex for simple formulas, which is why we need all of the wisdom books together to get the bigger picture. This all leads to the final section of the book, two large collections of poems. First, poems from a man named Agur, who begins by acknowledging his own ignorance and folly and his great need for God's wisdom. And then Agur discovers that divine wisdom has been given to him in the scriptures which teach him how to live well. And so Agur is put before us as like a model reader of the book of Proverbs, somebody who's always open to hearing God's wisdom through the scriptures. The final poems are connected to a man named Lemuel. He's a non-Israelite king and he passes on the wisdom that was given to him by his mom. It's guidance for being a wise and just leader. And then the final poem is an acrostic or an alphabet poem where each line begins with a new letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And the entire poem is about the woman of noble character. It depicts a woman who lives according to the wisdom of Proverbs and stands like a model of someone who takes God's wisdom and then translates it into practical decisions in everyday life, at work or at home, in her family and in her community. So the book opened with words from a father to a son about listening to Lady Wisdom. And so now the book closes by offering the words of a mother to her son about a woman who lives wisely. The book of Proverbs is for every person in every season of life. It's a guide for living wisely and well in God's good world. And that's what the book of Proverbs is all about.
1: And so we read from the book of Proverbs, starting at verse 1 of chapter 1. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. For gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight. For receiving instruction in prudent behaviour doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the saying and the riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is at the beginning of knowledge. But fools despise wisdom and instruction. We pray God will add to our understanding. And so, how should we live our life? I've entitled this message, A Lord to Honor. Judging by the ever-expanding self-help sections in bookshops and the proliferation of lifestyle gurus, blogs, social media feeds, the the, the question, how should I live my life, is a question many people are living. Of course, there's people who are following God, the ch- Christians who are following Jesus. There's a lot already told to us about how we should live our lives. But without that, of course, many people are trying to find other directions, other ways. Perhaps your friends and your colleagues are. Perhaps you are asking the question, how should I live my life? Each one of us are aware that we are not the best we can be. We need wisdom. And given our need, it would be all too easy to turn to the book book of Proverbs as a set of principles for living or a moralistic list of do's and don'ts. And wouldn't that be really helpful if the Bible answered every single do and don't? But in fact, the Proverbs is a profoundly gospel-shaped book in which God does for us that which we can't do for ourselves. He takes the loving initiative to address our needs for wisdom to live well in his world. Proverbs puts God... At the heart of our lives, not us. You see, the book of Proverbs is saying, God central, and things are getting right. God on the edge, God in the peripherals, we start to make mistakes. where we can sometimes see ourselves as the centre of our own personal universe, with God somewhere out at the edges, dropping now, ev- in every now and then, when we need him to do so, It's to have God in the wrong place, more like a paramedic who is there circling with the ambulance waiting for the problem to occur. Whereas God wants to be central to stop us getting into that trouble, into that problem in the first place. Proverbs tells us that God is the centre of all things and we can only find true wisdom and relationship with him in the center, when we revere him and we focus our attention on having him in the middle. As we read that first part, the introduction, the purpose, and the theme of the book of Proverbs, we hear it read about Solomon being the author, who it's for, but then in verse seven it says, The fear. Of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord. This is a key phrase for the whole of the book, but it's not fear of the Lord as in I'm frightened God is here. It's about reverence and awe, about putting God into the centre, about worshipping him and seeing the holy God as dominant within our lives. It's about a moral mindset, God always first, and it's about humbling ourselves before God. It's about our focus, the framework of our lives. You see, if we believe wisdom comes from the Lord, it's good to have that at the centre of all we are, leading us to virtue, integrity, generosity, so, not selfishness and pride, leading us to success and peace, not ruin and shame. So, let us at the beginning of this book of Proverbs go back and see these things over again. Often Car and motor enthusiasts take time to change their car to make it more powerful, and you hear them coming as they put on their bigger exhaust pipes and their bigger engines. They drop their suspensions closer to the floor and whilst these things all sing great on the racetrack, we know they don't work on the road. As soon as they drop the suspension, they come against a road. Uh, a road hump in the road, they ground, they damage themselves. And whereas they're built for speed, they have to go crawling over it. And if we are honest, they look rather silly. All the noise and no show. And often we have taken our lives and we have in a similar way remodelled them in our image, remodelled them for the way we want to live. And we wonder when they get to a hump in the road why we find it so hard and why things fall off and why we're struggling. Because we haven't got God in the centre. And so as we look at this passage, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge, the question we want to ask ourselves tonight as believers in Jesus Christ is, is God central, really central to our way of being, the way we live, the decisions we make? Is God central to all that we are? Or have we put him on the edge Maybe we have moved. Christ has stayed still, but we have moved and God is getting closer and closer to the edge of our lives as other things come in and take over importance and our connection with God is eroded until maybe it is broken. Does my life reflect the fear of the Lord. Do I show God real reverence? So if God is central to my life, if God is central to who I am in a being, the way I treat myself, the way I allow my body to be used, is a reflection on my relationship with God. So often we, <clears throat> we live one thing and say another. We behave in one way and live as if God is not present and then go into another room where God is present in the sense of in and out of our Christian faith. But if we have put God in centre, right in the middle of who we are, then our whole lives should show reverence to God. Do I show real reverence in the way I live, Monday to Sunday, not just on a Sunday, not just in my quiet times but in the whole of my life? Do I take unnecessary risks or cause myself unnecessary harm? Do I allow my body to become a compromise for who I really am? Do I find myself getting more and more irritated as self takes over and God's praise and presence is not relevant? Is pushed to a side. You see, if God is central, as the Proverbs indicates, It is about us understanding and walking in the rhythm of God. The New Testament talks about being in step with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, God's presence overwhelming us. In a few weeks time we will celebrate Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came upon the church and we saw the miraculous transformation of the people of God as the Spirit came upon them and they were speaking in tongues and God was taken over their lives and they were showing God. They couldn't keep God in any longer. God was breaking out Is God indwelling? Is God truly indwelling? Do I reflect the fear of our Lord? Do I look at God in awe and wonder, the holy God, the almighty God? Do I see the grandeur and majesty of God? Or have I reduced God to my understanding. Many of the books by the gurus and the self help experts, whatever you might want to call them. Is about taking control. Take control of your well-being. Take control of your life. Take control of all your decisions. Take control of every relationship. Just be in control and you'll be okay. And the Bible is the opposite. It's let go of control and let God take control. Then you will be what God has designed you to be. You see, when God is in control, the control mechanism, the steerer, the driver of our lives, we find that we are led to places of peace and success and delight and joy and calm. Not selfish ambition, greedy targets and goals. My life reflect the fear of the Lord. You see, do I raise myself up as important or humble myself before God? Do I think do I live life as if I feel God is lucky to have me? And it's a good that God has got me because I am going to change the world for God single-handedly, and God is just. So blessed to have me? Or do we live a dependency where we just reflect that without God we are nothing and we are blessed to have God? That dependency, that leaning, that reflection upon God, where God is sought in matters of wisdom and decision. And so, as we look at the fear of the Lord, as we tonight ask ourselves as we start to walk into this journey of the book of Proverbs, And all that Proverbs is going to teach us over the next few weeks, we're going to be faced with questions, where do we get our wisdom? What is it that gets us and helps us in our living? God-centred life means that our outworking is the response to God's in-working within us. It starts off recognising God's hand means that we live lives of integrity and generosity. Integrity where God's hand causes us to live blameless lives lives that are beyond reproach lives that are beyond accusation accusation and generosity where we are giving away because our security is in God and the outworking of my life reflecting God's in means that I know success and peace not ruin and shame. And so I hope you enjoy this journey through the book of Proverbs over these next few weeks in the evening services as we just recognise that as we give God more and more control, take God's wisdom and allow it to live through us. We know, truly know, God's direction for our lives. Before we rush out of this service, we're going to just stop. And I'm going to use that song, Jesus Be the Centre. And as we listen to that song, before we hear our final hymn of Crown Him With Many Crowns, as as we listen to that song, I want us to ask, is Jesus truly the source? The source, the life-giving source of our lives. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Putting God as the source is the beginning of a better way of living. But as that source takes control, our outward living needs to reflect the inward working of God. Hear this song. Ask God to become your source as you seek to live for him. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us at RBC tonight, and we pray that you will know God's leading and strength for you. And now may the blessing of God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit be with each one of us this day and forevermore. Amen.